Hi, I'm Lois. And uh, I know a lot of you because my husband and I have been a part of this community for uh, a really long time. We came here in the 80s when we were a young married couple. So we are old now. Uh, we are now an old married couple. So um, in the past, I've had the privilege of serving on staff here at this church. And um, now you'll find me volunteering a lot in children's ministry, which I love, uh, or in ministries that serve our local community, which I'm really passionate about. And then sometimes I preach. So here I am. So I'm, as always, really humbled and honored uh, to stand before you and to um, speak of which I love so much. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can gather in this place on this uh, wet Sunday morning and that your promise is that you are here among us. God, how astounding that you would uh, send your spirit that you would be willing to speak to us through your word and through worship. God, we ask now that you would open each of our hearts and our minds uh, to hear what you might have to say to us this morning. We pray all of this and commit this time to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so uh, if you've been around, you know that for the last many months, we've been looking at uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, this is a really large chunk of Jesus' teachings that are found in Matthew's Gospel. They're in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, we've looked at this uh, sermon, passage by passage, a few verses at a time. And now we're nearing the end. We're at the end of chapter 7. So uh, it's been a really great deep dive into some amazing teaching. And if you haven't been with us on that journey for some reason, I would definitely encourage you to listen to some of these messages from the last few months. And you can just go to our website, which is waypoint.church. Uh, hover over that media tab and click on sermons. And you can listen to any of those messages from these last many months. And there's a lot of good stuff there. So encourage you to do that if you've, if you've missed those. Uh, Jesus, uh, his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is outstanding for us. So, because um, as, as we've seen, this teaching uh, from the Sermon on the Mount is really kind of a practical guide for the Christian life. And so it's filled with teachings about what a follower of Jesus uh, how they're supposed to live out their life. And it's all about the attitudes that we should have and the actions that should come from those attitudes. Uh, it's really kind of radical. Um, to refresh your memory, or in case you are joining us for the first time, uh, Jesus tells us in this sermon that we are to be salt and light, that we are to reconcile with anyone we might be angry with, that we're to forgive that we're to love our enemies, that we're to be aware of and avoid lust of all kinds at all costs, that we're to give to the needy, that we're to trust God in all circumstances instead of worrying, that we're to take the plank out of our own eye instead of focusing on the faults that we see in others. So this, that's just a few of the rather challenging topics that Jesus has covered in this sermon. So as I mentioned, we're reaching the end of Jesus' famous sermon, and we began two weeks ago to look at the eschatological epilogue that happens at the end of Jesus' message. I just wanted to see if I could say that out loud in front of all of you. <laughs> say it five times fast. Okay. Um, 
But eschatological just meaning what happens at, what's going to happen at the end of time. And so uh, this is a whole section on, uh, at the conclusion of all this practical teaching that Jesus has done. Uh, and Jesus focuses in this epilogue, um, he wants to really impress his listeners here. And so he does it in a variety of ways about the importance of all the things he's just taught. And he lets them know that all of us have choices to make. And those choices are going to impact what's going to happen to us on Judgment Day. That's what this whole section is about. It's, it's, verses, it's chapter 7, verses 13 to 27, and it's all about really taking very seriously those things that he's taught about. So it's really important to see that section as a whole because it really does all fit together, but there are these four distinct sections. Uh, they all tie together, and, and they all really reinforce the weight of what Jesus is communicating to his listeners. So, of course, we're going to look at this big section. We are looking at this big section in the course of four weeks uh, in these kind of small chunks, um, which is good because there is a lot to unpack and understand in each of these chunks. But, it, again, it's really good to realize this is part of a whole, and they should be seen as part of a whole thing. So um, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like um, Mrs. Field's chocolate chip cookie, you know, one of those really big cookies. And it's here at the end of the sermon, and you could just, like, gobble the whole thing down. Like, I probably would. Um, I love cookies. So, um, and that could be very satisfying in some ways. But instead, what we're doing is we're taking that cookie bite by bite, and we're savoring each bite, we're chewing on it, we're enjoying it, we're trying to get as much deliciousness out of each one of those calories, okay? So here we go. Uh, so Matthew 7, 13 to 27, that's the whole cookie. Two weeks ago, Shannon helped, take that helped us take that first bite as he taught about uh, verses on the wide and narrow gate. That was Matthew 7, 13, and 14. And we learned that Jesus calls us to a narrow way. And it can seem hard, but it's good. Last week, our guest preacher, Ty, taught on the next part of this epilogue, which describes wolves in sheep's clothing. That was verses 15 to 20. And we learned that there will be people who present themselves as God's prophets, but they're actually evil. And we can discern that by looking at the fruit that they produce. So next week, we're going to take a look at the conclusion of this section, which is a story about a wise man and a foolish man. It's verses 24 to 27, and there's going to be a lot to learn from that. But this week, what we're looking at has been referred to as the climax of this section. It's been termed some of the most important verses in Matthew. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. So let's see if we can discover why. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So I'm going to be honest with you, when uh, I first found out I was assigned to this passage of Scripture, I, um, well, 
I'll just say I wasn't so excited about it, okay? So, uh, you know, I love scripture, and I know that every word of it is important and good, but at first glance, this seemed like a pretty harsh word to have to preach about, right? Uh, it's actually somewhat terrifying for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. It's a little scary. There's some pretty tough words in here. Uh, let's take a look at how Eugene Peterson uh, puts it in his contemporary English translation of the Bible called The Message. Here's, here's how he translates this passage. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Ouch. That seems like a pretty harsh word. And I really like to preach about the good news. So um, just being honest. But, um, but, you know, as I studied this passage, as I really dug into it, I realized that there is a lot of good news for us here in this passage. Um, Good news for all of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey. Even if you haven't yet begun your faith journey, there's good news for you here. Um, even if you've been on your journey for a very long time. So we can all learn more. So hang with me as we look at Jesus' exhortation here, and let's see what we can discover from it together, okay? All right, so Jesus starts out, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we know that the kingdom of heaven is where God rules and reigns. And we would presume that those who identify Jesus as Lord would be a shoo-in for making it into the kingdom, right? But Jesus says, no, not true. And the rest of that sentence tells us why it's not true. The, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's who's going into the kingdom of heaven. So what is the will of the Father that must be done? Well, in this context, it's all of the things that Jesus just taught about, right? This is his concluding statement. It ties back to everything he's just taught. That's why it's really important to study Scripture in context, not to take random verses and apply them randomly, but to really understand the context. All right, so immediately we know it's not enough to simply say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Remember how Eugene Peterson put it, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance. That's, that's not going to do it. We must actually do what Jesus commands us to do. That's how we manifest our true devotion to Christ by actually doing those hard things, or at least striving to. Okay, but wait. So is Matthew saying that salvation only comes through works? Through what we do? Through how well we follow the rules? That we somehow have to earn our salvation by doing good? No, no, do not hear that. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that our devotion to Christ is made evident 
by our obedience to his commands. I'm going to repeat that. Our devotion to Christ is made evident by our obedience to his commands. See, obedience is a response, and it's the right response to his grace, to his extraordinary love for us that has preceded and continues to precede our love for him. As Shannon put it a couple of weeks ago, grace is opposed to earning, but is not opposed to effort. There's a, a big difference there. Obedience is not about earning, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be effort. So that's a morsel I think we could probably chew on for quite a while. James, a book uh, later in the New Testament written by one of Jesus' close followers, has a lot to say about this topic. James is one of my favorite books. Um, if this is an interesting point for you, I suggest that you go home and read chapters 1 and 2 for yourself because James does a lot better job of explaining this than I ever could so, or that I have time to do here. Um, but, and here's what he says in, in chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, just to give you the flavor of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So merely saying, Lord, Lord, doesn't demonstrate devotion. It may be an ascent of who Jesus is, but it's not devotion, which is what Jesus wants. Actually doing the things that Jesus taught is what demonstrates our devotion to him. All right, we're going to come back to that whole idea later, but I'm just going to leave it right there, and hopefully that all made sense, because we're going to move on to the next verse. Uh, can you believe that was just one verse that I just talked about? Okay, God's word really is so amazing. So many, he says, many will say to me on that day. So here's where we understand that Jesus is talking about the day of judgment, the day that he will return, the day when God's rule and reign will be fully realized. Here's where we should understand that this is a serious moment. It's of utmost importance. We're talking about here where we're going to spend eternity. And this isn't something to be taken lightly. Jesus goes on to say that many will say to Jesus as they stand before him on that day that they prophesied in his name, that they drove out demons in his name, and that in his name, they performed many miracles. Well, wow. Those are some amazing things that these people did. And let's just notice here, they did them in Jesus' name. So it was by Christ's power that these things were done. To me, these people seem like super Christians. <laughs> like, if they were here in our church today, we'd probably all want to talk to them. I would definitely want them to be preaching and not me, okay? Um, they sound pretty impressive, right? At first glance, at least. But then Jesus says in, verse, in the next verse, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Or some translations say, you lawless ones. Okay, so wait a minute. What does he mean, I never knew you? Doesn't Jesus say in John 10, I am the good shepherd 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Which, by the way, is an amazing truth and really the crux of the transforming power of Christ. He knows us. We can know him. Relationship is really at the heart of our faith. Okay, so how does he not know these people who have done all these amazing things in his name? This is a bit perplexing. I mean, prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles, aren't these all good things? Like, really, really good things? Like, spectacular things? Yeah, they are. But that's actually the problem. Because where in the preceding three chapters has Christ mentioned any of these things? Again, the importance of studying scripture in context. You see, Jesus isn't all that interested in all the spectacular things that we might do for him in life, in what we might accomplish for him. He's interested in how we follow his commands to be salt and light, in how we reconcile with those that we are angry with, He's interested in how we show forgiveness and mercy to others. He's interested in how we avoid all sorts of lust at all kinds of cost. In how we show forgiveness and mercy to others. In how we love instead of judge. Just to name a few of those things that Jesus just talked about in those preceding chapters. So these people who are reminding Jesus of all the great things they've done are really just trying to hide behind their religious accomplishments. They think they've earned their way into the kingdom of God through these great acts, but Jesus, as he always does, sees their hearts. And Jesus knows that their devotion has been to these spectacular acts and not to him, not to living lives that firstly exhibit the love and justice and mercy, the commands that he's just taught about in this sermon. So why is Jesus so adamant here in this sermon's epilogue about our obedience to what he's taught here? It's not that our obedience earns us a place in the kingdom of heaven. We've hopefully established that. It's not that if somehow we manage to do all these things, then we get our ticket stamped and we're in. That's not the gospel message at all. We're in because of the gift of Jesus. We've done nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to earn it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Belief in him and what he's done for you through his life and death and resurrection, that's what's required. That's all that's required. So if you're here today and you don't fully understand what that means, please, please don't leave here without talking to someone. Um, we, we'd love to talk with you about the forgiveness and the grace that's available to you through the power of Jesus. 
If you're in the sanctuary, you can come up front afterward. If you're online, just drop us a note and let us know how we can connect with you. We'd just love to have a conversation with you about that. So, all right, so if all this is true, that obedience isn't related to earning us a place in the kingdom of heaven, then why is Jesus so concerned about our obedience to all these things he's taught? Well, I'd like to offer you two possibilities this morning. First of all, perhaps it is actually through our obedience to these commands that we enter into God, into the kingdom of God here on earth. Perhaps it is actually through the obedience to these commands that we enter into the kingdom of God here on earth. Shannon's talked about the kingdom of God a lot, uh, as Matthew, or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven, same thing. In fact, Shannon did a whole sermon series on it a while ago, so another bunch of sermons you can go back and listen to on the website. A lot of good stuff there. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we know, is not merely something that we're going to experience one day after we leave this earth. It exists whenever we experience the rule and the reign of God. Wherever God's grace and mercy and goodness are exhibited. We can get, we get glimpses of it here on earth. We experience that rule and reign when we act in the, these ways that Jesus taught. This may be what he's talking about. When we do what he commanded in these last three chapters, when we love and when we forgive and when we give generously and when we show mercy. These are not the ways of this world, right? We live in a culture that's pretty consumed with personal comfort, safety, and security. And actions like these stand in stark contrast to that. But when we act in these ways, the kingdom of God bursts forth. We ourselves experience contentment and peace and joy as we act in these ways. And those around us experience grace, the grace of God that passes all understanding, unearned, undeserved grace. This is life under the rule and reign of God. This is the kingdom of God. And this is the life that Jesus wants us to experience more and more and more and more. And so he says, do the will of my Father. Do the things I've taught you. Don't just know them, really live them out. Because in doing so, you're going to get a taste of the kingdom of God in the here and now. Okay, so here's the other thought I had. Kind of the second idea about this question of why Jesus is making a big push, such a big push at the end of his sermon for obedience to what he's just taught. I believe he knows that we really can't do any of this stuff on our own. We can't do it without God's help, without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We simply 
can't love and forgive and show mercy and all those other things that God's, that Jesus has commanded us to do without his help. Left to our own devices, we simply cannot be obedient to all that Jesus has commanded in this Sermon on the Mount. It's just too difficult. And as humans, we're very self-centered beings by nature. And these are just not always, or if I'm honest, maybe even often, <laughs> going to be the ways that we are inclined to act. And so consider this. If we want to live the way Jesus calls us to live, if we want to be obedient to him, it's going to require humbling ourselves and turning to God for help. Which, of course, results in bringing us into a closer relationship with him. A relationship where we're turning to him, we're depending on him, where we're telling him our needs, where we're listening and looking for his provision. And that's what Jesus desires, is relationship with us. So this obedience drives us into relationship. Remember how Jesus told those people in our passage today, I never knew you. That's what he said to them, I never knew you. Perhaps he didn't know them because they never turned to him to ask for his help. I don't know if any of you have a story from your childhood that your family just loves to bring up um, because it's evidence of a trait that you showed when you were a child and that you've continued to exhibit throughout your life. So I have one of those. My mother always loved to tell the story about me of when I was like two or three. And um, she, if I was doing something and having trouble with it, and she would try to help me, I would put my hands on my hips and stomp my foot and say, I can do it myself. So um, that's something that I've done in a variety of ways actually all of my life. That's why this story comes up a lot in my life. Um, and it really hasn't served me well, actually. Uh, and it particularly has not served me well in my life with God. True confession. Seriously, why would I think I'm better off doing it myself when the one who created the universe offers to provide me some assistance? Well, I tell this story on myself because maybe, maybe some of you can relate. We can just so easily want to do it ourselves. And there's a, a variety of reasons for that. There's probably a whole sermon on the reasons that we do that. But we really can't do it ourselves. And really, that is such a gift. Because actually, when we instead humbly ask God to help us, we enter into a deeper and deeper relationship with him. And he does things in us that we can't do ourselves. Things that we, we can't even imagine we could do. Just a thought. All right, well, as I wrap up today, I want to give you a challenge. You've been very good listeners, but now what Jesus says is he wants us to do things. So an opportunity, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God might have spoken to you through his word this morning. So this afternoon or evening, I'm going to challenge you. Get out your Bible, and if you don't have one, you could just take one of those that are in the pew, these blue ones. 
um, we have to go get rid of them anyway because they say First Presbyterian Church and we're, and we're Waypoint Church. So feel free to take one of those if you don't have a Bible. I have actually no authority to tell you this to give you permission to do that, but I think it's okay. Um, so, and look back at those chapters, 5, 6, and 7. And, and the Bible, you know, they have these little he helpful headings in there uh, that will remind you maybe or tell you what a little section is about. And uh, just pick one that stands out to you. Maybe it's an area you're really struggling with, or maybe it's something you just don't understand, or you, know, you don't get why it's that important, or maybe it's an area that God's kind of been working on already, and you know that you need to do a little work here. And then just ask God how he might want you to be a bit more obedient, even this week, in following that teaching of Jesus. And there might be some confession involved here. <laughs> It'd be good, a good idea as you talk to him to ask for his guidance and his help as you do this exercise. And then, you know, just notice what comes up when you put a little focus there. And I challenge you to commit a few minutes each day this week. Like, set a time that you're going to do this so you actually do it. And take a few minutes to just focus on this. Maybe read the passage again, maybe a few times. And just talk to God about it. And just, I don't know, see what happens. You might see a change in some of your thoughts or attitudes. Or you might not. <laughs> some circumstances in your life might actually change. Or they might not. You might even have some encounters this week that grow you in ways you don't expect. I know that's happened to me. But you might not. But one thing that I absolutely know will happen if you do this with a sincere heart and honestly is that you will be known by God more deeply. And you will have the opportunity to experience the kingdom of God. So I challenge you this week. Pretty simple. Look through the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Note one that stands out to you. Talk to God about it. Commit to talk to God each day this week about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And um, it is so rich. God, we, we want to be obedient to your teachings. We long to be people who are more and more and more fully devoted to your son, Jesus Christ. Would you work in us, God? Would you form us? Would you allow us to get a glimpse of your kingdom. Even this week, God, we ask in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.